Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come Shelter from the coming storm. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ. You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
One of the most difficult parts of growing up is having to deal with all of the things that we think are so, that we believe are so, only to grow up and become adults and discover that's not true. That's not how the world works. That's not, that's not safe. For example, I was told that if you take a feather from a chicken and you put it in a glass of water and you watch it every day, it will produce a chicken. And so believing this, because an adult told me this, I went to the hen house where we raised chickens and I put a feather in a glass of water. And my father said to me, Raymond, what are you doing? I said, I want another chicken. So Fred told me that if I put this feather in this glass of water, it will produce another chicken. Daddy just laughed and he said, well, that's a good experiment, Ray. Let's see how it works out for you. It didn't produce another chicken. It was a fable. It was a lie. I was told that if I pull one of my teeth and I put it under my pillow, that the tooth fairy will come and give me some money. Well, I took my my tooth when it when it came out i put it under my pillow and i discovered my mother coming and putting a quarter under my pillow i said mother you're not the tooth fairy no ray that's just a fable well the difficult part for all of us is as we grow up to differentiate between what is true and what is a fable. What is false? I believed many things that I was told as a child, and yea, even many things I was told as an adult, only to discover that I was lied to. 1 John, written by the Apostle John, <coughs> begins to just lay out a very clear understanding of the biblical gospel. Now, it's astonishing. What he says in this gospel is totally ignored by most of the Christian church in America because the Christian church in America has adopted fables, lies, We do that also, even here as adults with medicine. I was told, if you take this medication, you will not get this sickness. I did the research. I said, that's a lie. There is no scientific evidence to suggest that if I take this medication... I will not get sick. And yet, repeatedly, people said to me, I took that medication because they told me if I took it, I would not get sick. And now they've been sick three or four times. We were lied to. It wasn't a medication. It was a poison. It was a, it brings death, destruction. You mean the medical organization in America could promote something that would bring death? Yes. The fable is that the medical profession in America always has your best interest at heart. No, they have their pocketbooks at heart. 
And I learned that I have to be responsible for my own health. That I take that to Jesus. That I research for myself. I don't accept what someone says because they're treated as a god in our culture. Well, the same is true in the scripture. Because someone has a title called pastor or doctor or prophet or apostle does not mean that I'm going to take at face value what they tell me. I'm going to come and search the scriptures and find out if what they have said is true or is it a lie. I've been lied to about the gospel of Jesus all of my life. I grew up in a church that lied to me about the gospel. I was told that if I tried real hard to be good, I could be saved. I could go to heaven. Imagine my consternation when I discovered salvation does not come by works. Comes by faith in Jesus, and that faith works in me and prepares me for Jesus. Now, I know on this broadcast I talk about some lies, but I want to walk through some of those in the book of 1 John because I want you to enter fully into the love of Jesus Christ. But if you enter into the love of Jesus Christ as demonstrated by the Father, certain things will happen to you. And some of them will be quite unpleasant. So John wrote this polemic in 1 John against many of the heresies of that day. Chief among those heresies was docetism. And another heresy that was even much more popular was Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a term that covers a broad spectrum of heresies, of lies. But they're taught in the church today as sacred truth. Because something is taught in the church by professors and pastors does not mean it's going to agree with the Apostle John. Now, I choose to let Scripture be my final and full authority for what is truth. I am a searcher after truth. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These were the people who knew Jesus So I trust what they tell me before I trust a modern pastor or prophet or teacher or apostle. I've discovered, not becoming cynical, but I've discovered that most of them teach their own opinion and what they want to believe, not what is true. So Gnosticism, as being spoken of against by the Apostle John, as we find in the writings of the Apostle John, is the belief that I have not sinned, I'm a pure heart, I don't need Jesus, and I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to paradise. Now, it doesn't matter if I am dipped into the sewer. In other words, if I commit every kind of wickedness, it doesn't matter because I'm saved. And once saved, always saved. You can already see there are some areas where we could begin to grab onto Gnosticism. And the modern church has done so. Now, they've given it an interesting twist They have said, you have sinned, 
But at the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, forgiving you for all past, present, and future sins, and it's a finished work. Well, most lies have an element of truth, but they also have those few drops of strychnine that poison your soul and destroy you before God and give you over to the devil. And so it is. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus did make full provision for us on the cross of Jesus. When he died on Calvary, a full provision of atonement was made for every sinner who would avail himself of that atonement. But it was only a provision. And we must go and apply that provision to our lives and to our hearts. And the theology that came out of the lies that were taught around this issue was that if I'm saved by faith, faith is simply a legal forensic term to say all of my past sins are forgiven. And then the modernists, the liars added that all future sins are forgiven. Yes, the provision is there, but they're not forgiven until we access that provision. So we come with this strange bird called the sinning Christian saying that you cannot live without sin. You're always going to be a sinner. That's a lie. The scriptures don't teach that a Christian cannot leave his sin. Never forget the Bible answer man many years ago, scorning a man who called in and said, is it true that under the blood of Jesus Christ, I can stop all wickedness and all sin? He laughed. He said, no, that's not true. You can never stop. You're sinning every day, constantly. You can never stop sinning. Well, that was his opinion, but it doesn't match the scriptures. He was wrong, and he led that man astray. In the same way, I was listening to a so-called Christian broadcast, And a woman called in and said, I feel like committing suicide. Can I still go to heaven if I commit suicide? And they said, yes. Yes. Don't worry about it. You're saved. You've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Right now, you recognize you have a very hard time. I would encourage, he said, Go talk to someone. Don't just commit suicide. But if you do commit suicide, don't worry about it. All of your future sins have been forgiven and you're saved. Well, he was lying. So we come to chapter 3 in 1 John. And John is going to decimate many of the modern beliefs of the modern church. And he's going to expose them as lies. Now, I ask you, as we begin to look at these, will you, with me, simply look at the words spoken and the reality of their meaning? And will you align yourself with John? And allow the Holy Spirit to change and to remove the lies that you have held on to. Chapter 3, verse 1. You must take notice what sort of love the Father has given to us. So he's saying, look, I'm going to talk to you about the love of God. But you need to very carefully... Notice what sort of love this is that he gives to us. 
And I would say you're going to discover as we walk through this that he did not give us unconditional love. That term is not found anywhere in the scripture. In the scripture, it talks about unfailing love. But we can disassociate ourselves from that unfailing love if we don't take notice of what sort of love the Father has given to us and we think, oh, God's love is unconditional. I'm good to go. No, you're not. Notice. So that we may be called children of God. So he's saying, look, look carefully at the kind of love the Father has given to us that allows us to be called children of God. Not every kind of love will qualify you as children of God. There's a very particular type of love that is spoken of here that will give you the opportunity to be called children of God. Now notice, if you are called children of God under the anointing of this love that the Father gives us, there is an immediate result that is unpleasant. Because of this, because of this love that is being given to you by the Father, the world does not know us since it knew him not. In other words, when you receive the love that God wants to give to you, When you receive the love that God wants to give to you so that you can be called a child of God, the first thing you will notice after receiving this love is that the world will no longer recognize you. It won't know you. It will turn its back on you. He says now in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it's not yet been known what we shall be, but we know that if at any time he may be manifest, we shall be like him. In other words, look, I don't know, I don't know where this love of God is going to take me, but I immediately see that it separates me from the world. And what is it that's in the world? Well, if you turn back with me to chapter 2, verse 15, it says, You must not love the world. In other words, the love of the Father in my heart will cause me to no longer love the world. Neither the things in the world. If anyone may love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because every conceivable thing which is in the world, and this is what he says is in the world, the lust of the flesh, which is the love of being pampered and comfortable, it's the love of things, it's the love of being able to kick back and say, this world is wonderful, I'm at home here. The lust of the eyes, Now I'm comfortable, I have my stuff, I have my house, I have my clothing, I have my deal in order, and now it's time to begin to collect my toys. I'd like that, and I'd like this, and I'd like that. And so I begin to collect all of my toys that will make me feel like I'm the man, and I'm comfortable, and I'm happy. I said to one man, He had a garage full of toys. He had his, well, he had all of his toys. He had his motorcycle. He had his new car. He had his new boat. He had his new jet skis on a nice little trailer. He had all kinds of toys. I said, tell me, how do you spend your time? With all of these toys, 
He looked at me and laughed and he said, you know what, pastor, in truth, I spend all of my to- all of my time repairing my toys. I spend my time tuning up my, my jet ski, tuning up my boat, taking care and washing my new car, my, my big pickup truck, a $100,000 unit. He said, I spend my time taking care of things. I said, boy, I'm glad I don't have any of this because I don't spend any time taking care of anything like this. <laughs> because I love the Father. And I spend my time with him. Notice, and the conceit of life. Have you noticed that especially old men, but young men get into this too. They go to parties and they go to church and they go here and there and everywhere they go, they've got their stories to tell. And in their story, they're always the hero. There's always a stupid person that they win over, that they defeat. So they're constantly telling people what they have and what they've done. Oh, I was here and I was here and I was over here. And, and, and then they have a whole retinue of stories they tell that are associated with all of those things. It's called the pride of life or the conceit of life. And John says all of this is not out of the Father, but is out of the world. The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but the one doing the will of God continues into the age. So now we come back to chapter 3. He says, now, the world doesn't know us since it didn't know him. In other words, the world doesn't want anything to do with us. It's terrifying to me to watch a pastor who is receiving adulation from the world. Billy Graham. The world loved Billy Graham. He was the pastor of presidents. He was a multimillionaire. Some reports many, many millions of dollars when he died. And the world loved to party with him. They loved to invite him. They loved him to be a part and he would bless them. The world knew him. The scriptures say the world does not know us since it knew not him. There's a problem if the world loves you. And you participate with them in all of their wonderful things. The lust of their heart, the lust of their eyes, the pride of life. And you tell your stories too. And you're one of the guys. Verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God. And it was not yet made known since what we shall be. But we know that if at any time he may be manifest. We shall be like him. We shall not be like someone in the world. We shall be like Jesus. And we shall see him as he is. And everyone having this hope in him purifies himself just as that one is pure. What is, what is there to be purified of? Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Pride of life. This world, that's what we're to be purified of, of sin, of darkness, of of lust. Verse 4, everyone doing the sin, that is everyone doing the lust of the eyes and the flesh, everyone telling the stories, Everyone doing the sin also continues doing the lawlessness. In fact, sin is lawlessness. The word here is harmatia. 
In the New Testament, harmatia means rebellion. It is not the classical definition of harmatia found in secular Greek. It's not missing the mark, and it's not an honest effort that falls short. Sin is revolt against God, just as it was in the Garden of Eden. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is choosing to go my own way. And over here, in Romans 6, let me begin reading for you verse 20. For when you used to be servants of sin, that is, when you used to be filled with the lust of your flesh, the sexual urges that you carried out, all the things that lust brought to you. You used to be free with reference to righteousness. What fruit, therefore, were you having then on account of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and having been made servants for God, you have your fruit in holiness. What is holiness? To be set apart for a special purpose. To be set apart for Jesus, for the Father. And in the end, life eternal. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what is grace? Titus tells us that grace is what teaches us to say no to self-indulgence, to lust. Grace is not a, a blanket that covers over all of our wickedness and we're saved in spite of it because we have grace covering us and the lie that when Jesus looks at me, doesn't see me, He sees himself an imputed grace. That's a lie. Righteousness has to be imparted from Jesus. Or we have not entered into the love of the Father. Now let's go back to 1 John, the third chapter. You know, verse 5, that the one was manifest so that he may take away our sins. Indeed, there is no sin in him. Everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. Now, I just have to take the English words for their actual and literal meaning. Literally, that if you are continuing to walk in rebellion and revolt against the will of God as you know it to be, if you continue to have bitterness and anger in your heart when you know that you're to forgive, If you continue walking in your fornication, your adultery, your drugging, if you continue walking in what you know to be sin, then you have not walked with Jesus. You don't know Jesus. You're not a Christian. By definition, a Christian is a Christ follower. Someone who knows the Lord Jesus. And John is saying, everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. You cannot keep on sinning and call yourself a Christian. Now, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
That's not very comfortable, is it? Do you only accept as truth what matches your own opinion? Do you only accept as truth what builds up your pride? Do you only receive as truth what you feel comfortable receiving? If that is true, then you are hell-bound. And your life is going to come to an abrupt and screeching halt as you are pruned by the Father and cut off, dried up, and thrown into the fires of hell. Now, that's not very comfortable, is it? Well, truth by definition, does not have to be comfortable. In fact, truth is usually not comfortable because we like to gauge truth by what we believe and what our opinion is. But there is an outside force, an outside power that is greater than we are that establishes what truth is. Truth is the person of Jesus Christ. Truth is what his apostles have written to us and told us this is what it's about with Jesus. Little children, do not let anyone deceive you. The one continually doing the righteousness is righteous. The one continually doing the innocence is innocent, just as that one is righteous. Well, wait a minute. If you believe you can never be righteous and that God has to play some kind of shell game and be dishonest to make you righteous, God doesn't play shell games. He either makes you righteous or you're unrighteous. Either the blood of Jesus has the power to wash and cleanse our sin away and transform us into disciples of Jesus, breaking every bondage, every demonic power broken by the blood of Jesus. Or we're playing a game. And in the end, we'll be cast out. The one continually doing the sin is out of the devil. Oh, we're such a a nice and pleasant people. It's not it's not very polite to tell someone they're out of the devil. Do you want to know the truth? Or do you want to be lied to? If you're living a life of fornication, being a drunkard, being a troublemaker, being filled with your own self-importance and your own anger and your own bitterness, you don't love your brother, you don't love your mother, you don't love your father, you hate everybody, you're walking in darkness. And you're committing sin. And you're directly out of the devil. The devil doesn't mind if you're in church. He'll be happy to have you go to church. He can use you there to create devilish trouble for others by comforting them in their sin. Notice, the one continually doing the sin is out of the devil because the devil sins from a beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested so that he may destroy the works of the devil. And I want to add, in your life, in my life. Jesus came to totally destroy the works of the devil in your life and in my life. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin. Look, that's just plain English. 
What is there not to understand about that statement? But we've been lied to for so many years. We read this and we say, that can't possibly be true. I know about this scripture and that scripture and this scripture, and that can't be true. It's true. We've been lied to. I've been lied to. I can't lie to you. We're in a place where we need to hear from the Holy Spirit as we read the scripture. We need to hear what the truth is. It says, because his seed continues to remain in him, he is not able to keep on sinning because he has been born out of God. I testify that this is truth. When the seed of God was placed in my heart, unfortunately, I didn't cut off all sin. Some things, habits, I continued walking in. Ways I continued walking in. But what happened is because that seed of God, that radioactive seed of God had been planted in my heart and I chose Jesus, those things troubled me. Now, when I went and talked with some people about those things, they said to me, Pastor, don't worry about it. You're good to go. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. They lied to me. And as time has passed, the Holy Spirit troubled me more and more about those things until finally I walked away from all of them. And I don't walk in any of them today. I've been washed and I've been made clean by the blood of Jesus. Do I make mistakes? Yes, I still am immature and I make mistakes, but that's not the same as a deliberate rebellion against Almighty God. Sin is not a mistake. It is, according to John Wesley, and I believe he's right on this, sin is a deliberate decision to go my way against the word of God. In immaturity, lack of judgment, ignorance, I can do things that will grieve God's heart, but he will change me. He will confront me with that. He will bring my attention to it. And he'll wash And he'll make me clean. And I praise God for that. You can walk in the fullness of the love of the Father. The world will not recognize you. It will turn against you. Family members may become very enraged with you because you will not sit down and watch with them that wicked movie. You're not going to fill your heart with that because the Holy Spirit has told you, you must be holy even as I am holy. So don't watch that wickedness. No. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than we are? No, that movie is just wicked. I can't sit down and watch it with you. (laughs) Or, no, I can't go to that place with you. I can't go to that club with you. I can't go to that dance with you. They're just things I can't do because the presence of God is not there. And the Holy Spirit tells me, don't go there. I won't be with you. Since I want the love of the Father, it separates me from the world. You cannot continue as one with the world and one with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Notice, 
the one continually doing the sin is out of the devil. Verse 8. Because the devil sins from the beginning. For now this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Jesus will destroy the works of the devil in your heart if you will ask him to. When he identifies and puts his finger on something that you're thinking or doing or saying, and it displeases him, and he puts his finger on it, and you give it to him immediately, you renounce it in the name of Jesus, you take responsibility, and you say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm not going to go there anymore. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin because his seed continues to remain in him and he is no longer able to keep on sinning because he has been born out of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are evident. Everyone not continuing to do righteousness is not out of God. In fact, neither is the one not continuing to love his brother. For this is the message which you heard from a beginning, that we must love one another, not as Cain, who is out of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And for what reason did he murder him? Because his works were wicked, but his brothers were righteous. Do not marvel, my brother, If the world hates you, we know that we have passed over out of death into life because we love the brethren on the condition that one is not loving the brethren. He remains in death. Everyone hating his brother is a murderer. And you know that every murder has no eternal life remaining in himself. By this we have come to understand the love because that one laid down his life in our behalf and so we ought to lay down our lives in behalf of the brethren. But whoever may have the life goods of the world may take note of his brother having need and may shut his feelings from him. How can the love of God remain in him? So our life will be marked by generosity, by kindness, by the works of the devil being destroyed in our lives and our hearts. I wonder today, time-wise, we're coming up on Christmas. Do you have people that you have written off, that you have treated unfairly? that you don't like what they did or what they said, and so you just cut them off. And in your heart, you scorn them. You don't want to love them. Really? If you keep that hatred in your heart, it will grow in you until you become a murderer. Oh, you may not commit the murder, but you will be a murderer because of your hatred for that person, your scorn for that person. You must forgive and you must give. You must be generous with your brothers. I've had to face that even this week, praying about Who do I give gifts to? And I usually give most of my gifts to people who are not Christians because they receive them and it makes a difference in their hearts. But I also am called to give to Christians, people that are close to me, that have been sacrificing 
the Holy Spirit will direct your giving. All year long, he'll direct your giving. But your life will be marked by generosity for others, not selfishness. Being a Christian means that I am filled with the love of God. And that's manifest in the way I deal with you and other people. I praise God for his kindness. I praise God for his love, that I am not loved by the world. I'm not known by the world. I praise God I'm not known by the world. I'm nobody. I'm a follower of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're just about out of time today for this broadcast. I do want to give you our address. And I thank uh, Tom and Brenda. Thank you for the gift that just came from you. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. What you give is not for me personally. I don't take salary from the National Prayer Chapel, and I don't take salary from the radio. I trust Jesus personally to provide for me. I receive only from his hand what he chooses to give me. But we do need your help to cover the cost of this radio broadcast. If this broadcast this year has been helpful to you, if it has brought you closer to Jesus, and you want this broadcast to continue across this metro area and on the YouTube, (laughs) if you'd like to give a tremendous Christian Christmas gift and you have the money, we need the money to go national. If you'd like to talk about that, call me. I can tell you how much it would take. But I know the Lord is preparing to bring forth revival. A great move of God for his people. So write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And I'm Pastor Rick Greenley. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com You can give online. You can find countless podcasts available and YouTube videos. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you with all of my heart and I thank you for the way you have walked with me this year. Many of you sacrificing constantly for this broadcast. I thank you. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.